Hey, I'm so glad to see you today. I want to welcome those worshiping with us online as well. Always glad that you're here on this first Sunday in Lent. I heard about a church where a lady came up front and she did a little moment with the children and she had this bag and she pulled out all of this stuff out of this bag and it was a big old glob of stuff. And she held it up to them and she said, this is 40 days of Lent. Because for kids, that's what they think when you tell them that, right? That's not exactly. I hope you came to the Ash Wednesday service. But during this season of time, it's Lent. It's a time to be introspective. It's a time to turn to God and see what he has to tell us about our lives and how we might be a blessing to other people's lives. Now, real quickly, Cameron told you that next weekend we've got some special guests coming. I'll be here. I invited these guys. They're friends of mine. They're brothers. They're preachers. And they're going to be here preaching next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, and and then Monday night. And so here's what I want you to know. John Ed, the older one, John Ed Matheson, he'll be preaching at the beach. He'll be preaching this service and he'll be preaching Sunday night in here at six o'clock. His brother George will be preaching at the nine o'clock service and he'll be preaching at six o'clock on Monday night. I want you to hear both of them. Okay. Figure it out in your schedule how it works so that you can hear both of them. I'm expecting everyone to be there. I know what you look like. I'm, I'm taking roll. This will go on your permanent record. And I will find you if you don't come. So I'm looking for, so I want you to say that you're going to come, okay? I want to thank both of you for that underwhelming <laughs> response. That's the power I have here. Uh, those of you who are still awake heard me say that, and you were excited about it. Listen, these guys are really good. A lot, you can learn a lot from them. I've learned a lot from them, and they're a real blessing, okay? Now, today, I want to talk to those of you who may be hurting. I know that there are some people in our congregation who are hurting. I know that there are people who've lost loved ones. I know that there are people who've had family members that have been sick and in the hospital and struggling. I know that there's a lot of things going on. I find out about what's happening in your lives, and that's why I want to talk. Today, if you feel afraid and alone, if you feel exhausted or worn out, if you've lost hope, You've come to the right place because I'm going to talk about the prophet Jeremiah. Cameron talked about it just a minute ago and talked about lamentations. Did you know that Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet? And the reason was that Jeremiah was faithful to God. He listened to God. He heard from God. And he would tell the people what God told him to tell the people, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't respond. They were just kind of lukewarm. They weren't very spirit-filled. They weren't very excited. They had stiff necks. They didn't want to hear because oftentimes what he told them was something they did not want to hear, but they needed to hear. And God was trying to help them, but they needed to listen. And so if you look at Lamentations, if you're worn out, if you're discouraged today, Cameron said, read Lamentations 3 today because it'll give you a, a capsule, a little snapshot of what his life was like. He's basically saying that life isn't fair. My body is wrecked. I can't sleep. I'm broke. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I'm overwhelmed. There's anxiety. God doesn't seem to care. And here's the way he says it in Lamentations. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. He goes on, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. 
Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now listen, the circumstances are not good. It's a difficult time. He's living in a difficult, difficult age. He's trying to do God's work. He's faithful to God. He's pouring his heart out. He's trying to give it everything he's got, and the people are not responding. And here he is, God's messenger, but he's failing. He's failing to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through him, and it's not his fault because the people, they won't listen. But what does he say? He says, but I, I have hope. And he comes on a little bit later. And we're going to talk about the attributes of God today. We're going to talk about how he's beautiful and powerful and he gives hope to those who are hurting. But he comes on in Lamentations and says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of all kinds of circumstances that we don't want to live through, what's he saying? My hope's in God. He's the only one I can depend on. My hope is in him, and that's where all of us have to live. Sometimes when things are good, we just kind of go through life, and we don't realize when things get bad, then all of a sudden we get to be where we're looking for God. We get to be turning to God and trying to find him. But God's always there, and we can talk to him and be with him every day. And he says his mercies are afresh every morning. That's good news for me. It should be good news for you. When you get up in the morning, you, you turn to him and you confess your sins and you repent of them and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. And he says, when I look at you now, because of Jesus, I see the righteousness of Jesus in you. Because of what Jesus has done for you and me as Christians, if we know him and we walk with him and live with him, then we can have that abundant hope and blessing. And I want to talk about the mercy of God and these attributes of God because sometimes they, they're, they're separate, but sometimes they overlap. There's love and joy and mercy and goodness and faithfulness and grace and compassion. And they're all true, but they do overlap. Sometimes they're unique. Sometimes they're distinct. Sometimes they're together. For example, I want to talk about three attributes of God today. And they are justice, grace, and mercy. We're going to look at those. What is justice? Justice is you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve, right? When someone does something horrible, when they commit a crime, we say, let justice be served. That's justice. Somebody gets what they deserve. What's grace? Grace is you get what you don't deserve. Amen? I like grace, don't you? Because I'd rather have that than what I deserve any day, right? And so we didn't deserve salvation, did we? But we got it because of the grace of God. And then that's different from mercy. Mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. I'd much rather have grace and mercy any day than what I deserve, right? And they're all a little bit different. Now, what I want us to see today is what God wants us to know, that most of us like justice, right, for other people. We're interested, these people, God, just go ahead and zap them right now. We want them, we want them to have justice. Us, on the other hand, we'd like to have mercy. Thank you very much. We, now you can do what you want to to them, but not us. We, we want mercy in our lives, and so that's what we do. You know, this past week, something interesting happened. There's a student in our church that we've known, Laura and I've known her since Laura taught her in elementary school. 
Recently, she got a new car, and she drove it into the church parking lot. Now, she was pulling into the parking lot, and she was coming in from the northern entrance, and I was coming in from the main entrance. And since I didn't know that she got a new car, I didn't realize that that's who that was driving toward me. You know, when you come in the main entrance, you have to kind of swing out around the curbing, and you actually get over in the left lane, and then you quickly get back over in the right lane. And people usually are real good about waiting and letting one go or one or the other go, okay? Well, here's what happened. I was swinging over there because I have to. I, I can't go over the curb, and I was just trying to, to come in like this, and all of a sudden... As she was coming toward me, she didn't know what to do, and so she pulled over in her left lane. Now she's in the left lane driving. I'm in the left lane driving. We're looking at each other, trying to figure out what we're going to do. For a minute there, I thought that she was trying to play chicken with me in the parking lot. I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but then I, you know, I didn't realize. So finally, we both parked, and I got out of the car, and I went over to talk to her, and her dad that was here, he had just come out of Bible study. We talked and laughed about it, and we were talking about explaining what we were trying to do the whole time. But as I walked away... I made a mental note of what kind of car she drives <laughs> and what color her car is, as I'm sure she made the same notes about my truck. Yep, yep. Now, we're going to be driving and looking for each other as time goes on, and I would just encourage all of you to watch both of us in the future, okay? I'm not going to mention her name, but her initials are Mackenzie Butler. <laughs> and she is Sandy and Peggy Willard's granddaughter. <laughs> Consider yourself warned. Now, I told you that story to tell you another story, and it's about a preacher who got a ticket. It wasn't me. Don't go there. Calm down. This preacher got a ticket, and he got a ticket because he had an expired license plate tag. So he had to go to traffic court, and he went to traffic court, and he just observed what was going on at traffic court. And the judge would call all the people up individually, and he would say, what happened? Was it your fault? And all the people with tickets would say, wasn't my fault. I wasn't speeding. I didn't make the turn there. The light was green. The light was yellow. And he said, nobody in the room was at fault. Everybody there was innocent. And then the judge called on the preacher to go up front. And so the judge said, what's your story? And the preacher said, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm guilty. And the judge looked shocked. And he looked at him and he said, what did you just say? And he said, I'm sorry. And the judge says, not that part, the other part. He said, I'm guilty. He said, not that part, the other part. I'm an idiot. Yes, that part, the good part. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> then the judge said this, can you say that again? So the preacher said, I'm an idiot. And the judge said, what kind of idiot are you? And the preacher said, I'm a guilty idiot. And the judge said, could you say that louder? And so the preacher did. He said, I'm a guilty idiot. I'm the worst. I'm guilty. And the judge looked at him and he said, all these other people in here are innocent, but you're guilty. And I cannot have your guilt infecting them. You're forgiven. Get out of here. 
And he walked out of there without a ticket. He told the truth. He just confessed. He said, I'm guilty. I did it. And he left. Now, what he got was mercy. He didn't get what he deserved, did he? He got mercy. He deserved punishment, but he got mercy. So we want justice for other people, but mercy for ourselves. But that day he got mercy. In Ephesians, Paul contrasts our spiritual condition with the mercy of God. And here's what he says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. He's saying we did whatever we wanted to. But then Paul continues and says this, By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. He's saying without Christ, we're spiritually dead. Because we're disobedient to God, then we're obedient to the enemy, the devil. Without Christ, we just live a life of sin. We don't know what to do. And we all are going to experience the anger and the wrath of God. But let me ask you a question. How can a loving and God also be an angry God? Can love and anger coexist? Well, for example, if you have children, you love your children, right? What happens if your child lies to you? Simultaneously, you feel love toward your child and anger toward their sin, right? And so that's the way you feel, and love and anger coexist. Let's say you have a friend, and you're a friend to them, and you're a good friend to them, and you love them, but they have a bad habit of drinking and driving drunk. And so you really hate what they do, but you love them. And so love and anger coexist because you don't want them to hurt themselves. You don't want them to hurt somebody else. And so you really struggle with that. You have mixed feelings. When God is angry, he can still love people at the same time that he's angry. And Paul says, without Christ, you're subject to his wrath. He says he's angry at the filth and the horror and the sin that goes along with everything that is the opposite of his holiness. But then Paul says this in verse 4, and this is his hope. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. What he's saying is, is this this is what I'm hanging on to. Every day, day in and day out, every day is hard. One day at a time. And this is my hope. This is what I hang on to because I believe God and I believe that he can deliver me. He can deliver these people if we'll just be faithful and obedient to him. In other words, what we deserve is punishment. But he doesn't give us what we deserve. And if you've ever been tempted to think God is not fair... Sometimes you need to say, thank God he's not fair, right? Because if he were fair, we would get what we deserve for our sin, right? God is rich in mercy, it says. Now, rich, the word rich there in the original Greek, the word is ileos, okay? And it's a present tense 
word. And it means that God lives in a continual, ongoing state of mercy. It's an unending state of mercy. <clears throat> he doesn't have a limited amount of mercy to give us. He just keeps producing mercy, more mercy, more mercy. He's got plenty to go around, okay? And he's rich. And every morning, his new mercy is available to us. Now, you may say, well, isn't, isn't God the God that's the strike-you-dead God in the Old Testament and the God that's a loving pushover God in the New Testament? No, you're misinformed. He's always been just, and he's always been merciful. He's always been righteous, and he's always been loving. So many people don't understand God because their view of God, now listen, starts in Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1, and it ends in Revelation 20, and it doesn't go to those next two chapters there, 21 and 22. If you don't know, chapter 3 in Genesis is where Adam and Eve fell. They sinned. And because of their sin and disobedience to God, it was about what happened to them and the consequences. And Revelation 20 is about the punishment of God and eternal damnation and judgment. And many people, when they talk about God, their theology is you're a sinner and you're going straight to hell. That's the way they look at it, right? But that's not the whole story. Because where God starts is good and where God ends is good. If we just listen to him, God is a God who wants to save us. And Genesis, when he created everything, he said, it's good. And then when he created man, he said, he's very good. And that started the goodness of God. And God said, this is so good. The garden is here. Enjoy it all. Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's fruit on that tree. But when you eat that, you will die. If you eat that, you will surely die. And so what happened was Eve was over there around the forbidden fruit tree one day and the serpent showed up in the garden and he said, did God really say if you ate that you would die? Oh, he doesn't really mean that, does it? And pretty soon he starts talking to her about, he just wants it to keep you in the dark because if you eat that, you'll be as wise or as great as God. All this will be yours. Well, she already had it. What you want, the deed? And so he got her, he, he deceived her and she ate. We don't know what the fruit was. People say it was an apple. We really don't know what it was, but she ate it, right? And then misery loves company, and if I'm going to get in trouble, I'm not going to do it by myself. Where's that guy I've been hanging around with? Let's go get him. <laughs> and so she brings Adam over there, and she says, come here and eat this. It's really good. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and so he eats it, right? <laughs> and he gets in trouble, and then God shows up in the garden. God goes for a walk in the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? We're hiding, Lord. And he's walking through the garden. Why are you hiding? Because, because we're naked. Who told you? You were naked because they had sinned and now they were ashamed and nobody had to tell them. They knew that they had done the wrong thing. And so, you know, Adam comes to hey, what about it, Adam? Well, the woman you gave me, you and I, God, we were just like that till that woman showed up. Go back and let's play the tape back. Okay. I want to throw the flag on this. Okay. It was her fault. She's the one you go to Eve. What about it? Who let the snake in the garden? Everything was fine till the snake showed up and started tempting me. You go to the snake. How about it? Hey, I had a cushy job in heaven. And for no reason, God just threw me out one day. Is any of that true? No. 
And by the way, you know, if they didn't sin, we would have sinned too. So we can't blame. So the blame game doesn't work. And so they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And what did God do? He said, okay, well, I'm sorry, but there are consequences for what you did. And now childbirth is going to be a whole lot more painful. And now you're going to have to really work hard to make a living because the soil is not going to be as fertile as it was in the garden. But then what did God do? In his mercy, he sacrificed an innocent animal and he made coverings with the skin of the animal for Adam and Eve to cover their shame. Even in the midst of what they had done wrong and sinned, God provided for them. His mercy is new every morning. His goodness is there for us every morning. And we see that newness of God every day. And that's why you can read the Bible. And every day you read the Bible, it's new. And you've read it before, but something just jumps out at you. And the Holy Spirit just speaks to you. And it's like it's lit up on the page and you see it again. It all starts with God who's good. And it all ends with God who's good. And you just have to understand the nature of God and his mercy. The only reasonable response is, in view of God's mercy, I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice for him. God, because of what you did for me, I want to do for you. And it's not just about me, but, but I want to help other people. I want to bless other people. I want to be an example to other people. I want to help them. Now, the Old Testament, David sinned, but thankfully God was a God of mercy. And David repented of his sin. And he asked God to forgive him, and he was genuine in it, and God did forgive David. And a lot of people in the Old Testament, you know, they, they didn't take that route, and they ended up in big trouble. But here's what I want you to hear David say, and I think this is so true even today. David wanted to go to God with his case. He did not want to go to the people. Have you ever seen students, I remember when I was going to school growing up, sometimes the teacher would say, okay, here are the rules in the class now. What do you think we ought to do to students who break this rule? And they let the, the students tell them what they thought. And the students were always tougher on the people who committed the crime than the teacher because they're all thinking it's not going to be me, it's going to be them. So what do I care? Throw the book at them. Let's let them have it, okay? And that's the way we look at things sometimes. And, you know, the reason is is because it's too close to home. And we feel guilty. And we look at them and we'd rather all the attention be drawn to them so that God won't see what we're doing wrong. And so we want to take somebody else down. And so he says this, let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. God will show mercy, but sadly, many times people won't. God is a merciful God, but people are, are not always merciful. And the tragedy of that is that, that we ought to be the most merciful people in the world because we've been shown mercy because we've been forgiven because we've had the grace of God in our lives 
I want to show you what mercy means to God, okay? In the Old Testament, there's a detailed description of how God wanted his holy temple built. And there's all kinds of details. If you go back and read about it, you can read the, all the many details. And then God gives them one specific detail. And God says, in the middle of my house, I want you, I want you to build my temple. In the middle of my house, I want you to build a place of atonement. In the middle of the house, there's a description of glory. In the beauty of my house, I want you to build something called the mercy seat. I want you to put it right in the middle of my house, okay? Because God was saying, in my house, I'm going to always make room for mercy. It's at the center of my house. It's at the center of my heart. It's at the center of the church. There's a mercy seat, and it's the mercy of God. And James says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus came to forgive. He came to save. He didn't come to beat us, to knock us down, to show us how great he was and how sorry we were. He came and lived on this earth. He didn't have to, but he did. And he showed us by his life what it means to be merciful. When they killed him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's worried about them. And he's dying on the cross. Why? Is it because he knows about mercy firsthand? And those of us who have received the most mercy, sadly, are sometimes the most judgmental. Perhaps one of the reasons that people stay away from God is because of how we represent him to others. Because we've received mercy, but are we merciful? What is our message? It's the message of Jesus. Jesus knocks on the door. And if anyone hears, he opens the door and invites him in. But Jesus won't break the door down, and he won't force us to do what he wants us to, and neither will God. And they won't force us to be in their will, but they'll offer it to us. Now listen, Jesus can offer you salvation. It's a gift. But as long as he holds it out there and you don't take it, it's just an offering. You have to think about it. You have to decide, I want it. And I'm going to take it. He's already forgiven us. He's offered it to us. We just have to accept it. And so we say, come as you are. Come with your pain. Come with your brokenness. Come with your sinfulness. Come with your insecurities and your dysfunctions. Come with all the things that you don't want anybody else to know about. Just come to Jesus. And there are many people who have a question about God. And they doubt. And the church should be the safest place for this world to come with their doubts. Come with your questions. Come with your complaints. Come with the things that make you crazy about the church. We're not perfect. And because we're not perfect, we don't expect perfection. We've been forgiven. We've experienced grace. And now we want you to be forgiven. We want you to experience grace. Our message is, join us. Receive the forgiveness that we received. You can come and let Jesus straighten you out, just like he has us. Just come. Let's go to Jesus together.
Make room for mercy in my house. Make it a priority. Make it in the middle. Make it in the church. Make it in your heart. Some of you need to receive the mercy of God today. You can receive it. You can accept it. You're forgiven. That thing that you hate about yourself that you don't want anybody else to know about. Why is you holding on? Why are you holding on to something that he has already forgiven? There's a difference between justice, grace, and mercy. Justice is when you get what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And when someone sins, somebody has to die. God is just, but he's also merciful. So because of my sin, somebody had to pay the price. And that somebody was the Son of God. He paid for my place. The one who never sinned paid for me and my sins. Someone paid for my wrongdoing and my sinfulness. So now we can present our bodies as a holy sacrifice, living for him and thank him for his mercy. We say, thank God for his mercy, because when I'm still hurting, who do I turn to? Even though I know he's merciful, many of you are going through pain right now. I've been up here preaching at the different services, and I happen to know what's going on in people's lives, and I can see some people, and they're listening. But man, there's a blank stare on their face because they're also thinking about, how am I going to face tomorrow? After what's just happened to me, I don't know who I am or what I'm going to do. I didn't expect this loss, but now here I am. How am I going to go on with all this pain? And there's brokenness, and there's sadness, and there's anxiety, and there's tension. I want to go back to what Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. They're new each morning. Whatever you need from God, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. His arms are open wide. He has mercy yesterday, today, and forever. He loves you and wants to forgive you. So when you're downcast and you're hurting, when you're ready to give up and you have no hope, I want you to think about the prophet Jeremiah. I want you to call to mind what Jeremiah called to mind because he realized that his mercies were new every morning. It starts with him being good. It ends with him being good. He's a faithful God. He did it for me. He can do it for you. And when you're alone, he's with you. And when you think he's going to leave you, he won't forsake you. And he's the God who comforts you in your trials. And he's the God who strengthens you when you're broken. And he's the God who heals you when you're sick. So if you find yourself hurting today, I bring you good news. And that is that his mercies are new every morning. If you're hurting, if you're afraid, if you don't think that God can handle your doubts, if you don't think he can handle your fears, if you don't think God can handle your brokenness, if you don't think he knows how to deal with your anxiety or your complaints or your sin, you're mistaken. Take it to God because his mercies are new every morning. In the last service, we have someone singing at the end of the service, a solo. 
And as she was singing, a, a woman who attends our church regularly, and I don't know for sure, but I believe she's from the Caribbean, this girl was singing about Jesus. And she just started shouting, Jesus. And she didn't do it for attention. And she didn't do it for any other reason, but she was praising God and she felt the Spirit move. And she was just so thankful. Today in your heart, in your spirit, I pray that you can shout for Jesus. I pray that you can celebrate what he does and what he will do for anyone who asks. And all we have to do is turn to him. Today I pray that this message would be heard and embraced and accepted and taken and used and you would be blessed by God. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen.